Welcome to the Unity Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. In today's episode, we launch a new series of talks that will focus on the stewardship of giving. Have you ever wondered why people give financially to the church? In these talks, Senior Pastor Heath Bauer will be leading us through the Bible, bringing practical application of tithing, why Christians need to do it, and how this honors God. Today's talk is titled, Biblical Stewardship. If you're in the Ashland or Tri-State area, we would love to see you. I invite you to stay to the end. We have information there to show you how you can connect with us here at Unity Baptist Church. to get an early jump, you can put your finger in several different passages. It'll look weird, like you're playing the piano, but maybe get a bookmark, use your bulletin or something. Our primary passage is going to be Matthew 25, but I'm going to warn you right now, we're also going to be in Genesis 39. That's an easy one to find, first book of the Bible, flip a few pages in. And uh, we'll also be looking at 2 Corinthians 8 briefly in just a moment. But Matthew 25 is our primary text. We're starting this morning a message series on biblical stewardship. Starting out the new year, wanting to make sure that that, uh, we recognize that the Lord is truly the Lord of our life and it shows in all that we do. A message on stewardship. A lot of times we hear the word stewardship, we think immediately of just just the money that we give. Ah, here we go. Here's the pastor's annual message on, you know, us giving to the Lord. Well, we're not just going to jump right into the giving part. That'll come down the road. We'll reference giving, but we're not going to outline it so much this morning. Because biblical stewardship is far more than just how much money do we put in the offering plate. Biblical stewardship is first a recognition of biblical lordship. It's a recognition that God owns me and that he has a right to everything that's in my life. If I were to just preach a message on giving without first preaching the lordship of Christ, you're either going to do one of two things. You're either going to give, but you're going to give out of a slavish sense of, well, I got to do it. The pastor made me feel guilty. Okay, and that's not a good reason to give. God wants us to be cheerful givers, to be giving from the heart because we want to invest in what God is doing. Or we don't give at all because you're like, eh, preach on giving all you want, you know, but I'm not going to give. And that's because Jesus, we have not recognized his rightful ownership of us and all that we have. And so a message series on biblical stewardship has to begin with the Lordship of Christ. Love the song the choir sang this morning. What a beautiful way to introduce this subject of stewardship, true biblical lordship. Is Jesus your Lord? Don't just say yes, you know. Is Jesus your Lord? Think about that. There's not a single Christian who is truly converted where Jesus is not Lord, because what did you do to become a Christian? Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, what? That Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Every saved person has begun with a recognition of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The fact that he has a right to my life. He gets to tell me how to talk. He gets to tell me how to use my time. He gets to tell me how to use my money. He gets to tell me how to use my talents and energies and efforts in life. It, it's all his. And that is a message on biblical stewardship. But Matthew 25, we're going to go here to this passage because there's going to be a story about three different stewards. It's a parable that Jesus is teaching. In Matthew 25, to give you some context, is toward the end of Jesus' ministry. He's about to pass on the family business to these guys that he's been working with. And he didn't get the best of the bunch, by the way. It's not like Jesus handpicked all the best men in the world. He took rough guys, fishermen, 
Guys with mouths, he took thieves, right? Matthew, the tax collector, tax collectors made their money by taking more than what was required. But Jesus takes this ragtag bunch of people who at one point in time were arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and he turns them into this, this group of highly discipled people that are gonna go and carry on the family business. And to illustrate this, Jesus is about to leave the world, and he tells them a story, and he wants them to see themselves in this story in Matthew 25 about the three stewards. To understand the story, we have to figure out what a steward is. But look at Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. He says, for it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, he calls them servants here, but as we see what he's about to give them, they're more than just servants, they're servants that he gave stewardship to because it says he entrusted to them his property. The guy that sweeps your floors in your villa back then was not, the, was not necessarily a steward. He may be a servant, but not a steward. These servants are stewards because a steward is a servant that you put an extra measure of trust in. You give them bits of your property, give them access to your resources to buy, sell, trade, and to inc increase your household. And so these are stewards that Jesus is speaking about. A steward, therefore, is somebody who owns nothing, but he's responsible for everything. Best example I can think of is Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph, boy with color, coat of many colors, and the boys, other boys didn't like that. They wanted to kill him. One had a great idea, hey, let's make some money off him instead. Let's sell him into these slavers, and so they did. And Joseph gets sold off into slavery, and he gets sent away, and well, let's pick up in Genesis 39. It says, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, a captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites. Later on it says, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him and he made him overseer over his house and put him over in charge over all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had and in his field. And so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything except for the food that he ate. Now that's a trustworthy steward. Now we see a lot about stewardship just looking at Joseph's life here. I'm gonna give you four brief principles in this micro sermon here in Genesis 39. A, we see that Joseph belonged to Potiphar. Legally speaking, his legal standing in society is Joseph belonged to Potiphar. Joseph's life was not his own. Joseph wasn't free to go out there and get a PhD and to go teach at a university. Joseph's life belonged to Potiphar. Potiphar was his master, it was his Lord. It says that he bought him from the Ishmaelites. Believers, is your life your own? Careful before you answer that. You, we always talk about my life, what I wanna do with my life, what do I do in my life, and this is good for my life. Is this life really yours? It's not, is it? In fact, are you redeemed this morning? I hope so. Nobody's just saying, I know I'm going to hell, and I'm okay with that. If you're redeemed, that word redeemed means you've been purchased from the slave market of sin. That you used to be a slave to the devil, but now you have been made a slave to God. God has purchased us and now set us free to serve him willingly as a bondservant, which is a willing slave, but a slave, a servant nonetheless. Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that is within you, whom you have of God? You are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
So it's our, stewardship has to begin with this recognition that I belong to God. If we don't begin here, we're never going to give. Let me throw you PowerPoint guys a loop here. I'm gonna back up to my 2 Corinthians 8 passage here. We're never going to give to God until we first give ourselves to God. Paul recognized this, that giving is a, re, is a representation of how much we perceive God to be our Lord. Do you realize that? I want you to show you this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning with verse 3. Or begin, let's, actually, let's back up to verse 1 here. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. He says, I want to tell you about how the grace of God changed these people. They're not just a church. They're not just a religious building that does Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, but doesn't change anybody. He says, when the grace of God came into their hearts, it changed how they lived. And let me show you some of those changes. He says in verse two, in a severe test of affliction, now Paul, who's been shipwrecked three times, when he calls something a severe test, they don't have an easy life. They're busy people, they're hurting people. They had a severe test of affliction. He says their abundance of joy and their, uh-oh, extreme poverty. These are not rich people who are giving God out of their abundance. He says they're extreme in their poverty. Despite this, what did they do? They have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They gave, he says, according to their means which means people gave percentages. It's not like there's a membership due that, is, that you pay when you come in here and it's the same no matter who you are. That they gave according to their means. As God prospers me, I give back to God in a recognition. He says, but beyond that, he says, and I can testify beyond their means, that they gave sacrificially. He says, and they gave of their own accord. There isn't just somebody you know, staring them down. Yeah, you're gonna give? You know, they gave of their own accord. It was free will giving. He says, and they begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this, not as we expected, but look at why they gave. He says, they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Why does a person give or not give? When we come here on Sunday morning, and you, you know, if you don't like our QR codes, we have offering envelopes, you can use those too, but you don't give in any means, why don't we give? Paul recognized there is a direct correlation between them first giving themselves to the Lord and recognizing the Lordship of Jesus in their life and their giving to further the ministries of God on earth and their church. People who do not see Christ as their Lord do not give. People that give greatly and abundantly according to their means, and Paul can testify above your means, the reason they give is because Jesus is very clearly the Lord of their life, and they're demonstrating that through their giving. B, we see that all that Joseph had and used belonged to his master. It says, so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer over all his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So the things that Joseph was using, it all belonged to his master. The room Joseph had... Potiphar's. The clothes he had, got from Potiphar. The, the food that he eats, Potiphar bought it. The protection that he enjoys in that household, Potiphar. It all belonged to him. And Joseph wasn't just here to further his own life and his own ambitions, he was here to try to enrich Potiphar's house. All that he had belonged to God. Do you recognize that, that all that you own, that you have, even the clothes that you wore today belongs to God? The car that you have out there in the parking lot, that, if we could, we'd put Jesus on the title. It's his. The house that you have, 
It belongs to God. The clothes that you have, the, the children that you have, they're not our kids. They belong to God. You say, how do we know that? Psalm chapter 24, verses one and two says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He says, the world and those that dwell therein for or because he has founded it upon the sea and established it upon the rivers. You see, when you're a creator, you have a certain privilege with your creation. It belongs to you. Did God create the world? He did. In seven literal days, gasp. Did God create you? Psalmist recognizes that God knit him together in his mother's womb. God created you. Did God create all the things that make up what you own, the matter and the mass, the wood that's holding up your walls in your house? Did God create those things? He did. Does it belong to God? It does, even if we don't acknowledge it, it still belongs. The earth is the Lord's. The planet, the people, the products, it all belongs to God. A steward recognizes that. See, uh, Joseph's job was to bring profit to his master. In verse five, it says, from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. His job wasn't to enrich himself, and it wasn't just to try to give himself a better portfolio to pursue his own life's ambitions and dreams. He made the master profit. Oh, sure, his needs were cared for. He had clothing and food and all that you need. But he was there to profit his master. That's the attitude of a steward. You know what it looks like to be a steward. There may be times in your life where you are called upon to be a steward. Think about it. You ever as a kid, back when I was a kid, you could do this. You know, you, would, you pull up to a grocery store and maybe your mom's hair is in curlers. And what does she not want to do? Be seen by somebody from church right, at the grocery store. And so there are times that our mothers, they might, years ago, they would send us in with either a credit card or at that time cash. And mama sends you in. I want you to buy eggs. I want you to buy milk. I want you to buy bread. And I want you to buy nothing else. And you come back to the car. And so she gives you a certain amount of money. Is that money yours? No. But is it under your control? It is. And so you go in there and you have to pass several aisles of candy and ice cream and baseball cards and you just have to take the money that's been entrusted to you and use it in a way that pleases your mother because you know when you get out to the car, what's the first thing she's gonna say? Give me the receipt. I wanna see what you bought. I don't wanna see that you bought eggs and milk and bread and a pocket full of Snickers pocket full of basketball cards or something. She wants to see that you use my money wisely and there will be an accounting. If you understand that illustration, you understand what a steward is. They own nothing. None of that that your kids have, they always talk about my house, my room, and you'll remind them, my house, my room, you live there. And not for much longer if you keep acting like that. You know, It is yours, it belongs to you, but you bless them with it. And that's us. God has given a certain measure of things that are under our control. Does it belong to you? The 80,000 a year that you make, or some of you a lot more than that, uh, does it belong to you? No, it doesn't. That house you're in, does it belong to you? No, it doesn't. Your clothes, your cars, your collections, it all belongs to God. He, and he says, use it for him, not just to enrich yourself. 
We see D here that when Joseph profited his master, he was also blessed. I mean, think about it. It says the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house. The blessing of the Lord, he says, was on all that is had in his house and his field. There was just a rich amount of blessing that was overflowing and blessing everybody that was around him. Joseph being in the house that God was blessing, did Joseph also receive a blessing? Yes. Does God also do the same thing with us as stewards, that when we enrich God, does God also bless our house for that? God has always blessed faithfulness. God has always blessed obedience. He has always blessed faithful giving, hasn't he? I'll read you a verse here, and I will fully recognize that this was not written to us, but for us. That's what the Old Testament is. It's not written to us, but for us. We can't immediately and directly apply everything, but there are principles that we can learn from this. And the principle from Malachi chapter three is this, that God blesses giving. Now to them at the time, God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Don't just think about yourself, but concern yourself with my house. And therefore, God says, put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, that I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, your vine, your field will not fail to bear. And then the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight. Okay, that, that's what God was promising when they would bring their tithe into the storehouse. And when they tithe, they would bring, a tithe is a tenth. It's a 10%. And they would bring that in, and they would give it to God off the top. It's called first fruits. You would give God the money off the top, out of faith, and just trust God for the rest. And it shows a recognition of, you have a right to it all, God, but I'm gonna give you a sample portion to demonstrate that you own all of it. And we're gonna trust you that. And when they did, God says, put me to the test. I know you think if you give, you're gonna fail, but if you give, put me to the test, and I'm going to bless you in ways you couldn't even imagine. Now, did it mean that God was going to give them immediate financial blessing? It's not even the blessing that God describes here, is it? By the way, if you have a preacher who's telling you, give me money, and if you do, God will give you that much money more, that's a crook. You need to turn that guy off. We're not talking about seed faith money. We're not talking about give to God so that you get in return. That's not faith anymore. What is it? It's cause and effect. You're giving with what kind of heart intention to receive? You're giving because I want to make more money, and I see God as a good investment. That's not biblical giving. In fact, the, the blessing he promises here was what? I'm going to rebuke the devourer. What is that? Who, who's the devourer? You say, it's my kids every time I make dinner. It's not. Uh, he's, here he's talking about the locusts. They would come and they would consume the fields, and it could sink an entire country into famine, and people will die. And God says, because of your faithful giving, your recognition of my lordship in your life, and you're living obediently to me, that there will be times when you won't suffer things that you could have simply because you're living under the blessing of God. Does God still do that today? I believe he does. That there is blessing for obedience, and part of that obedience is in our giving. Again, not that God's gonna immediately give you financial stuff back, but there may be things that God withholds from happening to you and I because of our faithfulness to him and our willingness to trust him as the Lord of our life. So a steward, they belong to God. All that I own belongs to God. My job is to bring profit to the master and the Lord blesses me and everyone around me and my life now becomes a conduit of the blessing of God. That's a steward. Okay, that's your sermonette. You, you wish we were done. We're not done that early. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, we're gonna see number two here that stewards are not given equal amounts, but they still have equal opportunity. Matthew chapter 25 flip back there now. We will not be returning to Genesis. Verse 15, he says, to the one he gave five talents, to the one he gave two, and to another 
one, each according to his ability, and then he went away. And then look what the one who had five talents did. It says the one who had received five, he says he went at once. Look at that, the master went away. He's not gonna come back for a long time, but how did the guy with five talents respond? At once. He wasn't gonna wait, he wasn't gonna pray about it, he wasn't gonna put it off until a later date. He immediately acted. Friends, that's what obedience looks like. It's immediate. And he traded and got five more. The guy with two talents did the same thing. He traded, he got two more talents. But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. All of the servants were given talents. We need to understand what a talent is then. A talent is not your ability to sing or pat your head and rub your tummy. You know, that was a thing when I was a kid. It's really gonna impress your friends. It's a great party trick. We're not talking about those kind of talents. A talent was a measure, it was a weight, commonly of precious metals, typically gold or silver. And so if you had a talent of silver, a talent of gold, it was a certain weight. Now, this was, I believe, the largest sum, uh, the largest measure of weight, a unit of measurement, for something like this, because it was an enormous weight. It was calculated as roughly your average man's body weight, which back then was calculated at roughly 150 pounds. We can laugh at that right there. Okay, 150 pounds back then. They didn't have McDonald's and ice cream and Dairy Queen back then, so 150 pounds. How much is a talent worth then? If, if, if these were, and if he's going away for a long time, I believe he's probably referring to then for, therefore, talents of gold. This, even the guy with the one talent received roughly $3 million. Can you do something? Can you start a business for the master with $3 million? You could probably start several businesses with that kind of money. So all of these guys have been given a great sum of money. And what God is going, to, the master in the story, is going to grade them on is not what they started with. It's not even the amount that they brought back in. But were you faithful to obey me and honor me with what you did have? Sure, one of you had $15 million and you honored me with another 15. Another one, you had $6 million. You honored me with another six. The guy with the one talent, a lot of times we feel bad for him. Oh, well, he only had one talent. Three million bucks. It's not what you started with, and it's not even the monetary amount, but what did you do with what God gave you? Were you faithful with what God gave you? So we all haven't been given equal amounts. God is not fair in that way, but he does give us equal opportunity. Notice in that story, there is, there's no zero talent servant. There's nobody that God has given nothing to that God expects nothing from. In life, we're all gifted differently. I mean, look around, you know. Uh, We're not all beautiful. I'm sorry, I know in society there's a big push right now for everybody to say that everybody has external physical beauty. It's just not true. We can laugh because we recognize that. I'm not a beautiful person. Uh, I think actually the better message to send to our kids is not that you're beautiful uh, externally, but to tell them that external beauty doesn't matter that much. It's who you are on the inside because you keep telling your kid they're beautiful when they're, you know, horribly disfigured. What makes you beautiful is not what you see in the mirror, it's what God sees in your heart. And so this kid doesn't have this dichotomy every time they go to the mirror. That's a side sermon. We're not all born equal with equal beauty. I mean, I look back at my old high school yearbook pictures and I'm ashamed. I see like a blonde Michael Landon wearing shop glasses and I think, wow, how did I ever get married? Nonetheless, here I am. She married me by faith. She married me for my money, joke's on her. We're not all born into wealth, are we? I I grew up in a poor family. We never, 
really took a vacation all my life. We did not go out to eat, except one time when a hot air balloon landed in our yard, dug a big trench in our yard, and he handed us gift certificates to Pizza Hut, and we all went out and rejoiced. We, I didn't grow up wealthy. I didn't lead my family into wealth. I haven't taken my wife on a good anniversary in 17 years. It's just where we are financially. And you know what? It's okay. We have a great marriage. Um, we all haven't been, we're not equally brilliant. Some of you guys graduated the academic top 10% of your class, didn't you? Some of you guys, you know, we passed high school because of our grades in PE and woodshop. Praise God for that. But we're not all equal, and that's okay. God doesn't expect the same amount from everybody, but what he expects is that we're gonna take the loaves and fishes that he gave us and to multiply them. He expects for us just to surrender to God the sack lunch that we have and allow him to do something with it. Are you faithful with what God has given you? That's what stewardship is. Even in our spiritual gifts in the church, we don't all do the same amount of work, but everybody does something. 1 Corinthians 12 says, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. It just means the Spirit shows himself through your life through a certain gifting in the way that you serve God in church. All of these are empowered by the one and same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So sorry, some of you people who say everybody needs to have a certain spiritual gift. You don't get to choose your spiritual gift and you don't get to practice it. You get what God gave you, and then we have to be faithful to it. But it's apportioned as God wills. So we're not all the same. God doesn't have the same expectations. God doesn't expect every one of you to come up here and just take turns. All right, you know, next week, Gil, you're preaching. You know, after that, you know, we're gonna, Randy, you're preaching, and, and we just go down the road. Todd, you ready for Sunday night? You know, we're not gonna do that because we have different kinds of spiritual gifts, but God has expectations that we'll take what he did give us and use it the best we can. Luke chapter 21, I'll give you an example Jesus told that we may have started out differently in life, but it's not how much we give, but it's proportionally. Jesus at the temple, he says, he looks up, Luke 21, he, and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. That's how they gave back then, by the way. They didn't pass a plate. They put an offering box in the temple, and when you came in, they just trusted God that if, if God is the Lord of your life, that you're going to give generously and sacrificially. You're gonna put your tithe in that little storehouse. And that's just how they did giving. It's how we do giving here. You can give QR codes. We got boxes, two in the back there and two off to the side in these vestibules. And we just trust that God is gonna work through you. We're not just gonna sit here and guilt you. We're not gonna interview you at your membership class and say, uh, how much can I put you down for? There's only one person in this church who knows what you give and she gives you out and she's going to be releasing your, your giving records pretty soon here. But for us, I don't know what you give, and I don't want to know. It's between you and the Lord. I want you to give freely and generously, and not as a show to mankind. So he sees that there's this, there's this the rich, they're putting their money in the offering box, and then it says he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he says, truly I tell you, this widow has put more than all of them, for they contributed out of their abundance. But what did she give out of? her poverty, and she gave not just a little bit, but all that she had to live on. So you see, when it comes to giving, God doesn't just look at the amount that you give. You might put the, you have a certain amount that you give, maybe, maybe God has blessed you and you have a tremendous amount of wealth, fantastic. If you're super wealthy, let's have lunch together. You pay, I'll pray. But some of you don't have a lot of money. But those of us who do, sometimes we put a certain amount, we're like, Psh, I'm sure there's nobody else in the church who gives like I do, and we can even get proud of that, when in fact, the, 
God wasn't just looking at what these rich were giving. What was he looking at? What they were keeping for themselves. Are you just enriching your own personal life? And then he looked at this widow, and we would look at her two mites that she put in. Bink, bink. Now, a mite back then was the smallest coin still used in circulation in Palestine. It was worth roughly an eighth of a cent. That's not a whole lot of money. But Jesus looked at that, and he was highly impressed that she gave because it was out of her poverty that she gave, not out of her abundance. She was giving sacrificially. She's giving by faith. Now, how many of you guys think that God is gonna see this widow giving all that she has and he's gonna let her starve? Is that our God? He's gonna provide for our needs, isn't he? When the widow of Zarephath, she gave all that she had, the last of her oil, the last of her flour to bake a cake by faith for Elijah, and, and she does it and she says, now me and my son are gonna die. Did God let her die? No. In fact, because of that act of faith, giving off the top, what did God do? Her oil never ran out. Her flour never ran out, and God, God satisfied it with, them with food every day of that famine. Other people are dying of hunger. This woman survived because she gave out of her poverty, and she gave what she had. Maybe you're in a place like this widow. You feel like, good night. If you even knew, I got credit card debt stacking up. I can't even pay off my Christmas that I got for my kids. I, I don't even have barely enough money for groceries or my electric bill right now, much less to even consider giving anything to God or more than what I'm doing already. Can I just ask you this? Pause where you are. I'm not, I'm not asking you to give money you don't have. Okay. What I'm asking you to do is to pray. Does God want us to give? Is it an act of obedience to give? Will God give you the ability to act obediently to him? Every time. If, therefore, God wants us to give out of obedience and God will enable that obedience, if we're not able to give, the problem isn't with God. God promised to provide for our needs, but some of us are spending according to our wants. And so I'm just gonna ask you right now, don't change your giving just yet. I just want you to pray. I want you to pray and ask for Jesus. Recognize that he's the Lord of my life. And as such, he's in control of the money that comes and goes. Will you just pray, God, show me a way where I can use my money wisely, where I can live on what you've given me. In these next few weeks that we're talking about stewardship, will you, just, will you show me how I can walk in obedience and live in abundance and blessing so that I can live generously even as Joseph and these others did? Will you just start praying with me? Don't change it yet, just pray. Do you think God will answer that prayer? God, help me to live obediently to this. He will answer and he will provide. I believe that by faith. We see here that these first two servants, they did really well for their master, you know, five and two. And what about this last guy, the one with the one talent? Says he received the one, he dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. What does that communicate? Two things, number one, is that he was afraid to use the master's money. That fear was governing his decision. Not faith, but fear. Number two, it also shows he had no intention on doing anything for the master. I, 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 you dug a hole in the ground. You don't, it's not like he just put it under the dresser, or under his bed, or hid it somewhere that you can access it quickly. He dug a hole in the ground. You, you put things in holes in the ground that you don't intend to come back and get for a long time, like buried treasure. This man had no intention of serving his master. So all of these men, 
They weren't given equal amounts, but they had equal opportunity. But I'm gonna see number three here that all stewards will be called into account. Look at verse 19 with me. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came back and settled accounts with them. By the way, mom always checks the receipt, right? Will God at some point in time settle an account with us? You know he will at the end of your life. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 is talking about, that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not judged according to your sins, that was judged on the cross. But he will judge us for how we lived our life, how we used money, how we used our time, if we lived sinfully, if we lived obediently, there is a judgment. There's going to be a reckoning, a settling of accounts. And the Bible says here that it's a long time had passed. Again, it shows that they had to act on faith. It wasn't even just like us going to the grocery store as a kid. That's a very brief period of time. We know judgment is coming, so I will live obediently. This is a long time. Verse 20 says, and he who had received five came, talents came forward, bringing five back, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. I have made five talents more. And the master says, well done. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. By the way, that's how God works. If you're faithful in the little things, and in, in the context here, giving of our time and treasure, these are little things to God. God says he will entrust them with much if they're faithful over even a little. Then the two-talent servant came forward. He said, Master, you gave me two, and I have made two more. How many thinks the master is going to be like, why couldn't you bring in five like the other guy? He doesn't do that. What does he say? He gives him the exact same commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So it's not the amount that we're producing. What God looks at is, are you faithful proportional to what I gave you? Don't compare yourself to these rich guys and don't compare yourself to these poor guys. You compare yourself to the standard. Were you faithful with what I gave you? And that's how we will be judged. And no matter whether you're Billy Graham or you're a Sunday school teacher at Unity Baptist Church, you can have, if you will, equal commendation before God that you are both good and faithful. Those are the things that God is gonna measure us by. Were we good? That's just a word that means we're morally upright. You played life by the rules. You lived obediently to God, you were moral. But he also says God is going to judge them and us by extension. He's gonna judge us by our faithfulness. Did you do what I asked you to do? In other words, did you accomplish the mission of God in your life? Were you a light in the world? Did you share the gospel? Were you passing on what you know to other people? Or did you just keep and hoard all of your vast Bible knowledge to yourself? The money that I gave you, what'd you do with it? Disney vacations every year and you know, $5,000 Christmases? You know, or did you recognize me regularly and monthly in your giving? That there is a judgment for this that we are good and that we are faithful. Now let's look at the lazy guy. Verse 24, he who also received one talent came forward saying, master, pause. I think it's interesting here that the lazy servant still likes to call him master. Is this guy his master? Legally, yes, but did, he, did this man see him as master? No, he didn't live it out, but he loved to call him master. But as we're gonna see here a little bit later, this man is unsaved. You don't get cast into a place with weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth as a son or a child, daughter of God. But he still calls him master. He says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have it back. 
Here's what's yours. Interesting. He says, you were a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and all that. Was this master really that bad a guy? Was he really truly a hard man? We don't know. All we know is that that was this servant's perception of the master. Actually, I believe he probably wasn't. Why? Because the first two servants were very glad to serve the master, weren't they? They were happy right away. Yes, sir. You know, the guy with the five talents went right off right away to serve him. Clearly, they saw him as a good master, and it resulted in how they gave back to the master. But this one talent servant, why did he not give back to the master? Because he had a very low view of his master, didn't he? You're a hard man. Why should you expect to receive something and you didn't do the work? Jesus, you didn't go out there on the job. You weren't out there you know, working in the steel factory. You weren't out there digging coal. You weren't the one dealing with kids at school every day. I did that work. And so this man's, the reason he did not give back to his master is because he had a low view of his master. And friends, I'll tell you, that's the exact same way with Christians today. Christians who give much, why do they give much? It's because they have a very high view of a master. He is their Lord, and they are blessed for the favor of giving back to him. People who give nothing or give very little, it's relative to how you see God. Those who give nothing or give very little, it has nothing to do with the status of your bank account. It has everything to do with how you see God. Do you see him as a hard man with no right to what you possess? Or is he your Lord? It shows in our giving, not just, and I'm not just talking money here, I'm talking the way we do our time, the way that we serve, and in the way that we give. And so he just makes lame excuses. I'm afraid, you know, he's, he's making decisions not on faith, but on fear. And the master says to him, you wicked and slothful servant, you, you knew I reap where I have not sown. In other words, you knew I was the Lord. Of course I reap where I don't sow. That's what it means when I own everything. You knew that. He says, you ought to have at least invested my money, given the least possible effort to give me some kind of return, so I would have gathered with interest. And so he says in verse 28, so take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's not a fun place. God sees a fear of God as a willingness to give to God and a willingness to give him our time, our talent, our treasure, and all these things. And he sees a person whose heart is unwilling to give of God, unwilling to serve, unwilling to give God their time. They won't spend their time going to church. They're not gonna spend their time doing any more than they have to. They're not going to serve in the church. They're just gonna come and receive. And they're certainly not gonna be giving and giving in proportional to their income. God sees that as characteristic of an unbelieving heart. Are you an unbeliever because you didn't put money in the offering box this morning? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But if we habitually and consistently do not give to God of these things, it's because we have a heart problem with God. It has nothing to do with what's happening out there. It has everything to do with what's happening in here. And if we consistently do not give God of our time, talent, and treasure, we're either an unbeliever or we're simply acting like one. That, that's what this is communicating here. That our giving is proportional to how we view God. Is he our Lord? We all confessed him as Lord at some point in time, but is he our Lord? 
So we're not meant to just read the story and move on. Instead, we're to insert ourselves into this narrative. Are you a five-talent servant? God has given you much. Too much is given, much is required. Are you a two-talent servant? God hasn't given you as much as some in different areas, financially or spiritually speaking, but you know you have something, and you are faithful to give God what you have. Even though it's less than half of what somebody else gives, you're faithful to give God everything that you've got. God is gonna say, well done. It's not an amount. Or maybe you perceive yourself as a one-talent servant where God doesn't really expect anything from me. He doesn't expect me to serve. He didn't expect me to come faithfully on Sundays, every Sunday, every Sunday I can. He doesn't expect me to tithe or to give in any way. If we have that attitude of the one talent servant, it means that our view of God is skewed. That we don't see God as having a right to what we own. I'm gonna tell you the story and then we're gonna move on. When I was a kid, I, I grew up and uh, reading the Reader's Digest. And there was only one place I ever read the Reader's Digest, and that was in the bathroom. I don't know that there was ever a time I ever went to our country house restroom, and there wasn't probably eight Reader's Digest stacked there. That's what you did, by the way, kids, uh, in the bathroom before we had cell phones. You had the Reader's Digest. And so I would read through the Reader's Digest. My favorite series of stories was something called Life in These United States. I didn't much care for the jokes because they're not real, and they weren't that funny. What was funny to me are the things that really happened to people in life, and uh, we tell everybody about it. Well, there was one story in life in these United States, story submitted by somebody at some point in time, and it goes like this. There was a traveler, a woman, who was at an airport, and she had a while to wait for her plane. And so she goes over to buy some overpriced cookies. Everything in the airport's overpriced. And she buys this package of cookies, and she sets it down, and she sits down, and she starts reading the newspaper. Well, a, a nice, well-dressed gentleman, you know, suit and tie, whatnot, and comes and sits next to her and just takes casual note of him. But then as she's reading the newspaper, you know what this brother does? She hears the rustling of plastic, you know that thing that calls dogs in from all corners of the earth? She hears the rustling of plastic, and she realizes this man is opening her cookies. <laughs> she, just, she couldn't believe it. And he takes one out and eats it. And so she looks over and she's like, who does that? Who is this guy? So she kind of reaches over sort of to assert dominance. And she reaches into that package of cookies, just kind of looks at him and eats a cookie defiantly and goes back to reading her paper. And she thinks, well, that'll solve it. And as she's reading, pretty soon she hears the crinkle of plastic again. And she's just incensed. This man's double dipping in my box of cookies. And so she reaches over and she takes another cookie as if to say, don't make me say it, brother. Don't make me tell you, hey, Buster, these are my cookies. Where were you raised? And so this goes on for a while until it gets down to the last cookie in the bag. And this man, she wasn't gonna eat it. She's like, the nerve. This man reaches down, takes the last cookie, breaks it in half, and just kind of looks at her, and he, he pushes the leftover half a cookie her direction. And with that, he just smiled and nodded and went and caught his flight. Well, she was done. She wasn't even gonna eat that cookie. She was so mad. She gets up, and she goes over to the counter because they were calling her flight in, and she's about to go home. And as she reaches into her purse to get out her driver's license or her, her uh, ticket, and she sees a full package of unopened cookies. and it dawns on her 
Friends, how many of us in life, we start out this life, and, and it's a journey. Let, let's face it, what you have here is not where you're gonna be for eternity, praise Jesus. But there's a lot of us in life, and we start out this journey, and we think that the bag of cookies we're reaching into us belongs to us and us alone. In fact, we feel very defiant when somebody wants to reach into that bag of cookies, even if it's God. How dare you? You don't have a right to what I earned. This is mine. And then at the end of life, when we're finally brought ready to check out and we're going to our eternal home on that final journey, it's only then that we realize all the cookies belong to God. Friends, have you recognized that in your life this morning, that all the cookies belong to God? Are you, do you get incensed when God has expectations that you will share that with him to further his kingdom? They all belong to him. Father, we pray this morning that you will, in our hearts, help us to settle this lordship issue once and for all. God, that my life, my health, my body, it all belongs to you. My career and whether or not I have a long and satisfying career, it belongs to you. My 401k, it belongs to you. My children, they belong to you. My time, it belongs to you. My position in this church, what I do, even that is submitted to your lordship. My money, all of it, God, it, it's all yours. I pray, God, you would help each one of us today to think about our relationship of your lordship in our life and our willingness to give of our time, our talents, and our treasure. God, I pray that you will be lord of our life and not like this one talent servant who called him master but didn't live like it. Help us to be like one of these others who gladly call him master, who right away obey, who cheerfully serve and give back. May we live in abundance and blessing. We ask this in Christ's name. From all of us here at Unity, we would like to thank you for spending time with us today. If you would like to know how to surrender your life to Christ, or if you'd like to share a response, visit us at www.unitybaptistashland.com. We would love the opportunity to help you in your next steps. You can also connect with us on Facebook at UBC Ashland. If you like what we're doing, don't forget to like and subscribe and share our podcast. Until next time, may we do as Psalm 119.10 says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments.